runasradio.com, you're listening to Run As Radio, the internet audio talk show for IT professionals with Richard Campbell. This is Brandon Wen announcing show number 816, SQL Server 2022 with guest Bob Ward. Recorded Monday, January 13th, 2022. Run As Radio is produced each week by Sound Thoughts LLC. For more information, visit soundthoughtsllc.com. You can follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash runasradio. Hi, this is Richard Campbell. Thanks for listening to Run As Radio. My guest today, my repeated guest today, Bob Ward is back. And this time I think talking a little SQL 2022. How do we even introduce you anymore, Bob? You've been on the show, I can't even tell how many times, lots I don't know, Richard. Everybody keeps asking me these days, you know, you've been at Microsoft, which is now uh, 28 years, 28 plus years. Wow. What do you do for them? And I say, well, if it has the word SQL in it, I kind of work on it now. For sure. Cloud, Edge, SQL Server. But, you know, I go by a a title of an architect, and that means I help people architect SQL right into their environments. Right. And, And to be clear, principal architect, right? Principal architect. Yeah, yeah you got to get the official title in, right? So, <laughs> but, honestly, yeah, nowadays it just means that, you know, for some reason I've been around a long time, people listen to what I have to say. I'm not sure why, but yes, people sometimes listen to what I have to say about SQL. Well, you've also seen the different incarnations of SQL. Like, you go back to that Sybase version that was running on the, you know, UI-less NT. I think there was even an OS2 version of it, too, back then. Richard, I first started with SQL on diskettes on <laughs> Landman OS2. There you go. Mm-hmm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I was originally originally supporting Sybase um, in those days on OS2. And then our first incarnations of SQL was just a Sybase port to OS2. But then I got to work also in the original SQL versions on Windows NT. So there's no question I've seen not just the gamut of change in SQL, but its adjustment and its transition to the industry as a whole. Yeah. Um, client servers, department servers to, you know, what we do today. That was the huge thing, right? Was that re-architecting. And then when they, Jim Gray, the late, great Jim Gray. Right. And that team in 2000 that kind of re-engineered SQL Server entirely. Like it was, I was writing books about it back in that time, right? Like which was a dramatically different database. Like it, it kind of shed its Sybase roots then. And in a lot of ways, I look at the modern version of SQL Server, and it feels like it's it's from then. There's no question. It actually even goes back to SQL 7.0. Yeah. You have the handprints of Jim. You have David Campbell. Yes. Um, you know, you have so many luminaries in the industry that we brought in at Microsoft to revamp, completely tear out pieces of Sybase code and put SQL, you know, into the SQL code it is today. But it took a big effort of folks that had been in the industry that knew what enterprise was. That was yeah. the key. Yeah. A way of thinking. Folks had been in digital those companies and said, I know how to build enterprise databases, how to implement them. Let's go do that in SQL. But let's also do it in a way that we keep this idea of it being easy to use, uh, friendly to developers, friendly with tools. We still had to keep that mantra along the same the same lines. I remember that d- demonstration even then of here's five ways to express the same query. But notice that the query engine renders it the same every time. Right, that, that the query right. engine was now sophisticated enough that it didn't matter how you express the query, it was still going to write the optimal process for extracting that query. Back 20 years ago, it was doing that. Well, the whole idea was, can we get away from rules-based, yeah. you know, processing in the query processor and make it, you know, completely statistics-based and more objective? And you, you'll hear when we're going to talk about SQL Server 2022, 
the optimizer is one of the areas where we do massive innovation, uh, both in the cloud and SQL Server. Um, let me tell you a story you may not know, because we're, this is coming out right around the time of the 20th anniversary of .NET. And I've been working on the history of .NET for some time. And one of the reasons that, that .NET became enterprise class was because of SQL Server. Uh, I, I got the story from uh, Jason Zander, who back then ran the CLR mm. team, when the push came to put .NET into SQL Server, you know, to give it to to provide this ability to run a, a sophisticated language like C Sharp in the context of SQL Server, the process of doing that meant introducing the the CLR team to the level of debugging and testing that the SQL team did to make an enterprise class product, and it allowed them to find problems in those early versions of CLR they were just not otherwise able to find like the, the the SQL server's testing environment was so precise that it would literally make a breakpoint if an execution path changed in any way so that you could see what had changed uh, that it they they you know Jason himself said one of the reasons that the 2.0 edition of of the .NET framework was so good is the beating we took inside of SQL context to get everything right to be enterprise class. You know, Richard, a funny story back to that is I was in support in those days. And for me, I was in charge of trying to figure out how we were going to support that, <laughs> which mm -hmm. was, was madness for me. How am I going to support CLR running in the engine? But the funny story is, is that SQL Server 2005, which is when we first came out with what right. we are talking about, SQL CLR, it originally was going to be SQL Server 2003. Oh, wow. We, we literally delayed this product for almost a couple of years. David Campbell, Slava Oaks, Peter Carlin, all these guys, Connor Cunningham, mm -hmm. all working with those guys. But that feature alone took so hard to bake and get it right. Because you got to remember, we're running enterprise businesses. We can't have, C you can't have CLR yeah. bring down servers, right? Yeah, it can't be. But yeah, we actually delayed the product to SQL 2005, UConn. You know, you, obviously, you know Paul Randall very yeah, well. Yeah. Paul working in this team back in those days and so forth. I remember all these discussions being with all of those guys up in Redmond talking about the fact that we're going to have to keep delaying this to get it right. Yeah. And it, it, that's a great legacy for us is to be able to pull in something like that into the engine, the product. And we still continue to do stuff like that today. Well, and it is this idea of what does enterprise class mean? It's a, it's that deep reliability testing that takes time. And, and until your code can get through that execution experience, like can run can run reliably for an extended period of time in that, you don't get to live in the server. Like that's, and that's the, you know, when you think, when I think back putting on my .NET hat, it was 2.0 was the thing that you could finally run on the server and count on it. That, you know, and I think it, that SQL Server had a huge role to play in all of that. I think the big difference now, though, is that the cloud forced us to adapt so much quicker to roll out things in an enterprise fashion. Now we're yeah. running millions of databases now in Azure, and we can't afford to take two years to put a feature in the thing, right? So the engineering processes and all the different things. I wrote this book called Azure SQL Revealed. Mm -hmm. And in it, I interviewed all the folks that were part of Azure SQL's history. And that was the big change. The biggest change was how do we get in a way from an engineering perspective so that we can keep this an enterprise product, but still yet, you know, pivot so quickly for fixes, features, et cetera. And we did a show on that book, friend. All right. What's that? We did a show on your book. That's back, right, we did. Back we did a book on Azure SQL Reveal. That was that was gosh, that was uh, last year, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was. It was. It was more than a year. It was twenty twenty. So it was more than a year ago. It's twenty twenty two now. Yeah. I don't know. That was a fun book to write, though, yeah. because well, it, it sounds was like it was a discovery process, right? Yeah, exactly. To people, uh, awesome. But we're talking. We're fast forwarding a few years here. 
you know, I keep wondering if the database is done and then you guys keep coming up with some amazing new features. Like what's happening in 2022 that, that can be added to a database and make a difference for folks? Well, first of all, when we announced last November that we had a new version of SQL Server 2022, the industry and our community took a step and said, oh, there's still a SQL Server. <laughs> yeah, we're still going to actually do this thing, right? Right. Um, and, you know, the honest truth is behind the scenes, we had been working on this for a while. Mm-hmm. But, you know, various factors cause us to kind of delay it a little longer than we probably wanted to. In fact, I would have loved to have a SQL Server 21 um, as, as an example. Mm-hmm. But, you know, there were several things involved. So one of the things we wanted to do was to make sure when we came out and announced this, and we announced it as a private preview last November to start with, was, you know, what's big? Because is this just going to be like a cumulative update or just going to be something that really um, impacts somebody in a, in, a, in a great way? Right. So the biggest thing we did is we said, we're going to now make SQL Server a true hybrid database in a way that we've never done before. Hmm. I mean, we've had the ability to back up a database to Azure Blob Storage and yeah. maybe make an availability group in a VM or something like that, but that's really nothing. So it all started with this ability to connect and link SQL Server to managed instance for disaster recovery. Richard, you've talked to many people before sure. about DR sites. I mean, it's not just even setting up or maintaining a DR site. What about the classic story where somebody sets it up and leaves and doesn't tell you how they did it? Right. So now you're faced with this, you know, your entire business based for disaster recovery where you don't know how to put it together. So managed instance being platform as a service, we have got now a seamless way just to take your SQL server, link it to this managed instance. We'll use the technology of availability groups behind the scenes. You don't even set it up. We just do it for you. We'll start seeding your data there. And then if you have a problem on SQL Server, you just fail over to the cloud. Right. The thing that's groundbreaking is if you say, hey, I'm ready to go back to my SQL Server as my primary, you get to fail back. Yeah, and that's the always the time, thing, right? Yeah, it's the first time we've ever established a connection between a platform as a service and SQL Server in a way that you can you know, basically bi-directionally fail over between each other. So this has been the most popular thing and the most groundbreaking thing that I've announced when I've talked about the product. Sure. I built infrastructure like that between two data centers back in the earlier days. Yeah. And arguably the biggest thing was fail back. You know, you can, you get pretty good at figuring out fail over, but how do how the, the process of getting back is just not trivial. And it really, you know, it takes practice. You need to understand it. The And I love this idea of I don't pay for it. My other data center, my backup data center is the cloud. Is the cloud. And a platform is a service cloud. Yeah. You can do you can do a DR site to, say, a VM today with SQL Server. Mm-hmm. You still got to maintain all that stuff inside the VM, right? SQL, availability groups. Now, the platform is a service. By the way, when you're doing this, remember what you get with this thing. It has already made a built-in availability with it. It has automatic backups. It has all that stuff you want. So when you fail over to that, you're just full platforms of service now. But that ability to say, look, I want, I still want my SQL server to be the primary when I'm ready to get back up and running again, make that my secondary, get that seeded back and then fail back. That's that's really significant. Yeah, I know. Very, very powerful. And it means that the, that cloud instance is pushing back in on-prem to get that data synced properly to be able to do the swap back. I, I think folks are still wrestling with it, that landscape of, there's Azure SQL, which is the pure cloud product. Then you can always set up SQL Server in a VM, although I don't know why you would. And then in between these two is this managed instance. You know, Richard, it's funny because what I'm seeing now is not an or, or game. It's an and game. Mm-hmm. So you just talked about those three flavors plus SQL Server itself. So customers that just need to stay on premises, 
SQL Server 2022 is going to be your answer, right. but you still can attach attach to the cloud. You know, it, with this example we just talked the about. Backup. If yeah, if you need a very fast lift and shift to the cloud today, look. Here's a great example. ISV says you have to be on SQL Server 19. You got to be in that version, no matter what I do. Well, if that's the case, the platform as a services are versionless. So go to VM. Just go ahead and make that uh, you know journey there. Now right. the infrastructure is managed by Microsoft. And here's the great story, though. Let's say at some point the, the ISV says, oh, you can now run versionless. I'll support that. We have a really nice ability to just do an online an online migration over hmm. to a managed instance or Azure database. Oh, okay. One of the things that we're really going to – you're going to see us hammer here in this calendar year for Azure database is the developer play. For example, I'm going to come back to your conference in April – and I'm going to have a much bigger pitch for developers on Azure SQL Database, hyperscale, serverless. Interesting. How does this really work? And you, and you bring up, like last time we talked was at the uh, the SQL Server Conference in Vegas. Right. And right. we did that great Q&A session, which is already up and published. Right. Uh, I was amazed how many devs were in the room. That you I know. know. I mean, we've done this together for the better part Seven. of 10 years, right? That's like right. it's been a while. That was the large, not only devs in the room, devs in the room asking questions. Like the tone of the questions was different this time. It was really impactful to me. Mm -hmm. Went back to my team and I said, when we come back to this event specifically, we need to show up in a bigger way for developers, whether it's SQL Server or Azure SQL Database. Mm -hmm. And you're, you're going to definitely see that presence presence when we come back to that event here in the spring. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm excited about that. And it's, it, by the way, folks, who are listening, it's in April. It's coming up it's fast, April. right? That's uh, right. But yeah, we're back in Vegas in April. and But it is interesting. I, I'm always fascinated at the sort of state of industry effects we get by doing those twice a year Q&As and just seeing the kinds of questions people ask, that it does seem like the developers are paying more attention to how data is stored again. And its relationship to the cloud, like where those things live, they it almost like we're not checking stuff over the wall anymore. Right, exactly. And by the way, we take those podcasts in our team, we play them. Oh, really? <laughs> I send them out to the team, and I'm like, hey guys, go listen to this. This is real customers giving us direct live feedback to yeah. us through this through this audience. So it's really been great, valuable to us. But yeah. you know, we talked about managed instance. The next piece of this Azure attachment is Synapse. So, uh, you know, Synapse being our flagship analytics play, but a lot of customers are like, I just can't get my data into this thing. Mm -hmm. I've got SQL Server data here. I've got operational data. It's just too painful to write ETL jobs, copy jobs. It's stale. So what we're going to do, this Synapse link concept is pick some tables in SQL Server. Do all this through Synapse, by the way. You just say, hey, here's my SQL Server. Pick these tables. Now we'll automatically do change feeds from transaction log changes into Synapse pools directly. Ah, so, so no more loading. It's all it's, no more loading. It's as it's asynchronously as it's being written in the database. You're pushing copies to Synapse. We call it near real time analytics because right. indeed that's kind of what it is. So you've got now Power BI reports. You've got Spark jobs, machine learning, all this stuff you want to do on the analytics play because because you integrate a lot of data in Synapse. Sure. Now SQL becomes a feed for you, like a change feed, right? Mm -hmm. Integrated with all of this, you you just kind of turn it on, and we just it just works. Uh, this could be really really popular for a lot of customers who are looking to integrate everything to Synapse, but they don't want to spend a lot of time doing that load stuff yeah. from SQL into it. Well, and I, and I think there's two things that I'm thinking about there. One is don't impact my transaction, like don't slow down, slow down my interaction with my customer, right. and B, yeah, don't make me write all that loading code. That's right. 
That's right. That I set it up once and it just, it's feeding to that asynchronously. It's some near real time is good enough. Sometime later being sometime probably milliseconds. Yeah. But just yeah, not this synchronous. Stuff is, it's, it's a, you know, obviously it's asynchronous like you talked about. Yeah. So the speed of getting the data depends on your connection to the cloud and so forth. But it's a pretty efficient ingestion process that's all integrated. We have like landing zones. You got to remember, this is SQL Server transaction log data. We got to right. turn this into like Parquet or something. Mm -hmm. We're going to put it into a format that Synapse can easily ingest it. And Synapse already has technology like Azure Data Factory, those kind of type things to allow to ingest data like that. You know, but make this all automated. You know, yeah. just set up your SQL Server, tell us what you want declaratively, and we'll just handle this uh, in a near real time fashion. Right. And 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 then the, the, I mean, I could see this initial load. Like I have an existing database, I'm getting into Synapse. Right. So getting those things hooked up at first, and then sometime later it'll be sufficiently synced that I can work with it. But then. The idea that I don't have these big bangs once a day or once a That's week right. or anything. It's just a con continuous trickle. Exactly. And preferably so, in the you know, downtime, that, right? Like when it's not yeah, too that's busy. That's the cloud. You know, there's other things we're doing, but if you think about it, those are two big groundbreaking things mm -hmm. to take SQL Server on-premises and just attach it to cloud services other than just like copying data. Like it's it's a big deal how we've linked these things together. But if you think about what we do in the engine, I mean, if we, it, Richard, if we don't have an engine, we don't have a product, right? right. I mean, everything we do in SQL, whether it's in the cloud or on-premises, has to have a really reliable engine. And you mentioned the history of the query optimizer. Well, we have this idea that we announced way back in 17. It's all about intelligent query processing. Right. And really, it's really impressive stuff. It's a bunch of developers looking at customer cases, looking at customer feedback, looking at known patterns of optimization and saying, can we just fix this? You know, can Richard now upgrade to a new version of SQL, take a workload that he had problems with, that he had to tune and spend a lot of time fixing, right. and just make it faster? Mm -hmm. So in 19, we upped the game and made it even further. In 2022, we've just got some just wicked cool scenarios. So here's one of them. You ever heard this term called parameter sniffing? <laughs> mm -hmm. Parameter sensitive op, you know, uh, plans. Yep. The idea being is that you got a stored procedure, you got a parameter. Uh, unfortunately, because your data might be skewed, you go run this proc, it gives a plan that's great for Richard Campbell, but not great for Bob Ward's execution with right. my parameter, right? Because there'd only be one version of this in cache. So what we've done now is we have the ability to take the same store procedure or parameterized statement, and no matter what the parameter value is, we can put into a, a version of the plan in cache that meets the needs of that parameter. Nice. So this is, I mean, people write training courses on how to fix oh, no. this stuff. Yeah, you go search for SQL Server parameter sniffing, like all of the rock stars, the Breno stars yes. and so forth, they've right. all written about this problem. It's, it's not a trivial thing to deal with. So, you know. And we're just going to try to fix it, man. I mean, without cool. you changing your code. Yeah. So you, so what you do is you upgrade to 2022, you go to a new DB compat level. This is one of those things we need to turn on with a compat level, right? Right. But you're still not changing your code. Then you just start running this stuff, and it just gets faster. I demonstrated this at the at the conference in Vegas in December. Uh, Going to continue to show this off. This is one of just hero features, but that's not all. There's like five or six other things, degree of parallelism, Cardinelli estimations. There's all this stuff that's not a bunch of guys sitting in a room going, oh, I think I'm going to go fix Cardinelli estimation. We're really listening to all the pain points people have had, mm -hmm. especially developers, and just saying, as a dev now, just let the optimizer fix things automatically for you. So we call it an intelligent query processing. But for me, it's just making the engine better, faster, more efficient. And Bob, I'm going to interrupt for one moment for this very important message. 
This episode of Run As is brought to you by the SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, April 5th to 7th. You've heard the SQL Q&A shows we publish on Run As twice a year from the conference. That is a microcosm of the five days of fantastic learning available to you from the real-world consultants and members of the SQL Server team that speak at the show. Learn proven problem-solving techniques and technologies you can implement immediately, as well as the insight into the future of SQL Server. Get answers to performance monitoring, troubleshooting, designing for scale and performance, working in the cloud, and exploring all the new features of the latest version of SQL Server. And if you still have questions by the end of the week, join the conference's closing session and be part of a SQL Q&A show on Run As Radio. The SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference is at the MGM Grand Hotel in Las Vegas, Nevada, April 5th to 7th, and go to mssqlconf.com to register today, and you can use the code RUNAS to get a discount on your registration. That's at mssqlconf.com, and I'll see you there. And we're back. It's RUNAS Radio. I'm Richard Campbell. That's Bob Ward, Principal Architect on the SQL team. We're talking a little bit about SQL 2022 and this sort of next-generation query processing. Like, What's the insight? Why, what have you folks is there new technology there? It's just like you're learning more about how people query their databases in real time because it was always good. Yeah, there's a couple of things. So number one, we've just figured out how to get smarter about it. Take a known query pattern like this parameter sniffing problem mm-hmm. and enhance the optimizer in a way that we don't wreck everybody, right? Right. Um, so in this particular case, we've been able to create a new plan type uh, called a dispatcher plan type. Whereas when the optimizer goes and tries to compile a query, it recognizes it might be sensitive to parameters. It kicks off one of these dispatcher objects, you know, in the code. And then now it can just recognize as, as, as execution comes in, can I, can I create variants? That's, that, that's, I, that we created that word before the pandemic. <laughs> can we create variants of the plan still has to the same query to solve the problem, but some of the other new scenarios we're solving, this is interesting. Well, we have this thing called Query Store. You've probably heard of before. Of course, yeah. Done whole this shows is the passion on it. Of, yeah. This is the Aaron Stilato passion, right? Totally. You know, query store. So Query Store now in 22 is going to be on by default. And then when it's on by default, what we'll do is we'll partner, the optimizer will partner with the Query Store to record performance information and take it as feedback, like a feedback cycle, and then fix things as we see the feedback come in. So that's a new innovation we've really never thought of before. Is like taking advantage of a persistence of execution statistics and making the optimizer just smarter uh, while looking at that. And of course, it's persisted, so it survives restarts and so forth. So that is a big innovation that we've introduced in SQL 2022. Interesting. And it, is it, I mean, I did that show with Aaron back in 2020 talking about the 2019 version. Is it just that right. you've seen enough of it now that you've got more confidence in what it's going to do for folks? Yeah, there's a couple of things. One, 100%. People like Aaron have given us feedback, like, look, if you want to turn us on by default, you've got to make improvements, and right, we've done right. that. But the confidence is the cloud. Uh, mm-hmm. Query stores on by default and Azure SQL, we've got like oh, yes. a jillion databases out there with this thing on by default, and people run and hum great by it, right? In fact, it actually lights up some features in Azure SQL database for developers. But I think the confidence of running this in the cloud, confidence of making changes over time that we think this can run by default, it just gives us the that air of like, look, this should just be part of the product now, mm-hmm. not something you have to turn on. Yeah, and not to think about. Well, that whole, I got to take time out of my day as a DBA to tune seems to be 
less and less often. Like they, that, a lot of this is happening automatically. That I don't need to go down the list of should I be tinkering with cardinality? Should I be you know tinkering with with the cache and store configurations? Like a lot of that stuff's just happening. Yeah, I, listen, the tried and true performance tuning, some of those kind of things still exist. You can mm-hmm. write the worst queries in the world. And I still need somebody to help me go figure out how to make that efficient. Right. But we're just talking about patterns that people would look at and go like, how come you guys just can't make this work right? I mean, yeah. I, you have all the stats you need. You have the intelligence you need. Why, why would you not just adjust and make this faster and better or consistent? And that's, you know, parameter stiffing, a great example of like, that's just something we should just fix a long time ago. So the, so the reaction's been, you know, hallelujah, or it's about time. That's, right, that's been the but, it, but it is part of that repetitive work. It's sophisticated work, but it is repetitive. You're doing the same thing each time in terms of optimization. So why isn't it automated? Exactly, totally, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so those are two huge things we're doing. Um, you know, the engine itself has so many different little things. Connor Cunningham has, has this phrase he always used called a pile of stuff. <laughs> so we have a pile of stuff in the engine across security, performance, and availability. They all add up to some pretty big things. One of the things that Buck Woody and I demonstrated in in the event in December was Ledger. Not sure if you've seen this concept before. It's in Azure SQL, by the way. And I should mention, all that stuff about query processing is in Azure SQL, too, because it's a query processor. Right. So we announced this Ledger thing last year for Azure SQL Database, and now it's in SQL 2022. And it's a fun, fun story. Buck and I did a, a nice a little kind of skit on stage. But Richard, as you know, you know, back in the days when I worked with Paul Randall, we like hack databases all day long we, for, for a living. You know, both of us would go in and modify pages and hack system tables, most of the time fixing customer problems, but also to demonstrate the internals of the product. So Buck and I were talking about, can Ledger detect Bob hacking SQL Server? Like, is it possible? Because I know how to go modify things at the page level where no one would see it. Turns out it does. Right. And it's pretty cool technology because we can use the power of blockchain and hashing now to take changes in tables, record hashes of this, and then detect is anybody making changes you know, to the actual data, whether it's a T-SQL change or not. And then we got, we got to this point in our demonstration where Buck said, look, I've tracked you all the way down. You know, you're done. And I'm like, Buck, I know system tables. I can hack anything I want. Right. So I went in literally to this feature and I hacked system tables to make it look like the change was legit at the, at the hash level. The thing is, Ledger comes with a trusted separate storage that he didn't tell me about. So <laughs> we take, yeah, yeah. So at the very end of this chain, we take what's called a digest of the hashes, put it in separate trusted storage. It's separate from SQL Server. Now we got to check some. Right. So it's not tamper proof, but it's tamper evident. Right. And I got to tell you, man. I can't stop you for tampering, but I always know when you will. I know you, you will. Do. I know you have done it, right? right? So. We've had several customers. You know, the logical scenario we've done is like a bank ledger type thing. Yeah, I'm thinking uh, from a security context, this could be huge. Yeah. So we've seen other customers take a look at this and say, hey, this is this this validation that this is a valid system, a valid set of changes, and I have a historical record of it. Uh, a lot of customers have shown big interest in this. It's in Azure SQL. It's going to be part of SQL Server 2022. I'd love to roll that out to an auditor. Just say, like, how do you have confidence yeah. in your ledger? It's like, what this here is a separate hash of the state of the ledger. Here's how we know it hasn't been changed. That's exactly what some customers have said is yeah. no matter it's supply chain set of transactions, whatever it is, 
is that this really could be a game changer for auditors to go in and say, okay, I we can have confidence this in this data. Yeah. yeah but, exactly. You know, back in the old days when I did real work, which admittedly was a long time ago, <laughs> uh, it was on the banking side. And, uh, and I did sit with auditors that had exact, and you know, everybody thinks they're evil and it's easy to get into that trap, right? They tend to be isolated from you and so forth. And they ask hard questions, but really it was like, can you give me proof of consistency, reliability, accuracy, stability? And this is one of those things where this is proof, right? It's a completely separate checksum. That's very powerful. Well, you know, we're really just using the concept of blockchain that are out there already a little mm, bit, right? Yeah. The difference is this is not a decentralized blockchain. This no. is a centralized system with your SQL server, which customers love. They're like, look, I really don't want the whole decentralized blockchain thing. Yeah, uh, I would rather have it infused in what I already have in my environment, whether it's Azure SQL or SQL server. So huge popularity from this one, a lot of interest from a lot of customers. Yeah, but it's a, and it's a, it's a deterministic proof. You can rerun the proof at any time. Recompute That's the correct. hashes. Do they match? Still correct. There's no way you're going to get there. If they aren't the same, you got something to look for. That's right. Exactly. Exactly. The time we've got left, can we talk a little bit about the role of purview in all of this? Absolutely. That, that was, that was a third piece of the whole cloud part that Mm -hmm. I didn't mention. Um, there's some really, you know, I have to admit, you know, sometimes when you see something rolled out, uh, like purview, you you know, you're like, okay, is this thing really special? Does it really make a difference in actual people's lives? Um, so a couple things. Number one, the Purview team already today has the ability to take a SQL, doesn't matter what kind of SQL it is, scan the SQL, look at metadata, classify data, give you a central catalog of everything you have. It's like a cataloging system, right? Mm-hmm. The second piece, though, is lineage. Now, this stuff is really powerful technology. How about trying to go say, hey, where is this SQL store procedure used across everything I do? Reports, queries, applications, like where are the dependencies or lineage so that when a change is made, I can figure out the impact of my organization. Mm-hmm. That one's big. And I really think a lot of people are going to see this, especially when you roll this across a lot of different assets. Yeah. But here's well, the third it's often piece. a question you can't answer, right? You can't answer that so. very easily, right? Yeah. yeah. So here's the third piece. So it's policy management. So let, let's do a little role play here, Richard. Here we go. So Richard, I'm going to hire Richard to be my performance monitor guru in my organization, mm-hmm. but I don't trust Richard to make him a sysadmin. Sorry, Richard, just don't trust you to do I that. I wouldn't trust me so either. I, I need you to have access to DMVs and all this critical type performance monitoring right. information that SQL provides, but I don't want to directly go into all my SQL servers and add you and create this special role and do all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So Purview now allows you to go in and publish a policy based on an Active Directory account like Richard. Hey, Richard's a performance monitor person. And I say publish, and I tell it where I want to publish. Mm -hmm. Now automatically, Richard has authentication to log into these systems and just do that role. Read. That is way cool. Yeah, that's Um, very interesting. It's a modernization of the policy process. That's correct. And then now, of course, think about the, 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 the maintenance part of this, right? I don't want Richard anymore to do this. Yeah. He's left the company or something. I just go republish a single policy. Boom, I've got it all fixed. It's right? all gone, so yeah. I love that one. Uh, we've announced that both for Azure SQL and for SQL Server 22 itself. Mm-hmm. That could be groundbreaking for a lot of administrators who are just pulling their hair out, trying to go figure out those kind of type you know, policy concepts. Well, you know, I'm looking at, we and we've done shows around things like the Log4J crisis and the fact that IT was asked questions about software that they couldn't easily answer. And yet, and you when it's all these governance problems. So I'm really interested in these tools around how can I answer comprehensive questions, often in the context of security, about the infrastructure I'm responsible for. 
Well, if you think about uh, you know some some organizations, if I've had a couple SQL servers or maybe an Azure SQL managed instance, they just know this stuff. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. you know, I just said it's, it's in an your play. But I know I, that's an ant play. A company has thousands of these things yeah. across now VM, database, managed instance, SQL server. Like, how do I go figure that out? Well, and also decades. Like, and I've been yes. here. For, I've been here for three years. Like, what do I know? What do right. I know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah, I love Purview. Again, you know, cataloging, lineage, policy management. That, that's going to be really exciting for customers to get a handle of securing the entire enterprise for sure. I remember there's an old tool. Was it called Map? That was yeah. that was about like uh, yeah the Microsoft Assessment and Planning Toolkit right right and I remember using that to hunt down SQL instances back when we had this problem of there were SQL instances under people's desks right just like right. SharePoint and we were just trying to get a, your hands around what have we got um, but that was an old school way of doing things right it was an old that was an older tool. Uh, but it was also magic. Like it was disturbing sometimes what map <laughs> together. Like how often do you get a governance level, an overview level of your infrastructure and really understand, you know, here we are just talking in the context of data, its sources and its utilizations, much less all the application context. You know, the, the shows we've done on Log4j, we're getting straight at this. Do we have a manifest for every internal app? So I can answer the question, like, what's, how many apps are, are exposed to this vulnerability? You know, what do we need to turn off and what needs to get fixed first? Uh, this is where the cloud really comes into play, Richard. Like, you know, having that central ability in this place. And by the way, Purview is run as a service, too, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, we manage the service behind the scenes so you can rely on it being running all the time. But, you know, it, a couple of things. Number one, the fact that it's a service in Azure centrally gives you this, this ability to look at everything. But it also shows you in SQL Server on-premises, we want to play in these games. Like we, we want to be part of this ecosystem. This is why, you know, if we're going to link it to Managed Instance, link it to Purview, link it to Synapse, and it's not required that you do these things, but we want customers to think, okay, if I go to SQL Server 2022, am I part of the modern world? Am I just right. isolated sitting up here on my data center, or am I part of the modern system? Because I may not be ready to migrate to the cloud yet, sure. but at least attach me to these things in a smart way. Yeah, yeah, no, I, and I really appreciate that, 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 because often hybrid is forever. We may never turn all of the on-prem things off, but also exactly. just to have the choice. You know, one of the neat things when you think about that SQL managed instance is a synchronized backup. It's like, would you like to go test this app in the cloud? Because we already have an instance of the data in the cloud as a backup strategy. Let's clone that. You know, we don't have to buy any hardware or anything. This is going to cost us a few dollars in runtime over a couple of days. Let's clone it, play with it learn something, you know, and now we can start making some assessments about what a migration strategy would look like. You know, it's funny just having an interview like this and a podcast and just thinking over 28 years, we talked about that in the beginning of the show, we're just reliving history, but thinking how SQL shows up now in so many cool ways. I mean, yeah, uh, whether it's the edge, whether it's these different cloud assets we talked about, whether it's hybrid now, we even have things called Azure Arc. It's even more hybrid. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, you know, people ask me, Bob, like, are you going to leave Microsoft anytime soon? I'm like, why would I? I mean, this is fun stuff to work on. on some cool stuff. Yeah, right? exactly. But, and I think it's an, there is a tendency and we're tech people who are prone to that. We want the new and shiny and we, it's like, can I just leave the old stuff behind and we live in the new and shiny? And it's not practical. We, we always are bringing stuff forward with us. So the fact that we have this expanding array of tools to bring our existing things into the new world and choose an amount of modernization for it or migration for it. 
but at least to be exposed to it. Like, I appreciate that that, to me, is the theme for SQL 2022. It's like, you can have as much a cloud association as you want and, and pick and choose what you want to do and when you want to do it. It also recognizes the fact that we know this is an and play for a lot of customers. Yeah. This is not just stay on premises or the cloud. Right. This is like, I want all of those things. But you know what, though? Remember this, and you know this from, from looking at our products. T-SQL is still the core of this thing. Sure. The T-SQL language is still core to all these things. It's still consistent across all these things. We've got enhancements in 2022 for the language, things like JSON, better JSON support, time series, things of that nature. It's just showing that we're serious the fact that that language can stitch across all of this stuff so developers don't have to pick up like another one just to learn how to use a new feature of something. Well, let's face it. My T-SQL skills have served me well for 30 years now. It's ridiculous how long it served me well. Like The ability to think through just you know, crack out a query and play with it for a while and, and explore data in a meaningful way. Like, yeah, you know, they, there's, there's certain things we learned as DBAs back in the day that are just, they seem timeless. Well, I just tell folks that are worried about their skill set and then not keeping up. I'm like, that T SQL skill set is extremely valuable yeah, magic. and will continue to be the case. And well, and we're terrible at remembering the skills that we have. We only look at the skills we haven't got and be concerned. Like it's, it's an easy trap to fall into, not even talking domain experience, just your ability to think and about and work with data is more important than you realize. It's hard for a lot of folks who haven't gotten there yet. Right. Uh, you know, a half hour flies by with you, friend. It's always fun. I'm excited about what you guys are building. It looks like you're having a really good time doing it. We are. You know, the last thing I would comment, I get this question, you know, when is this thing going to ship? Mm-hmm. You announced it last November. And I use this tongue-in-cheek thing that's never – nobody laughs at this joke, but uh, we won't miss the name, Richard. Um, <laughs> you know, sequels over 2022 will ship in 2022 yeah. or I'll be out of a job. Uh, I will tell you this <laughs> – well, I will tell you this, though, and people ask me, like, well, when 2022? I'm like, you know what? We love big events, yeah. so just go look at the calendar and, you know. Yeah, you know when the events are. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You could probably so bet Whether it's it. virtual or not, we yeah. love big events. Doesn't matter, yeah. Well, it's absolutely true. And certainly we'll be talking about it in April at uh, – at the SQL, um, SQL Server and Azure SQL Conference. I'll be back there again to talk a lot more about SQL 2022, I promise you. We'll have some fun. Bob Ward, yep. thanks so much for coming back on the show. Thanks for having me, Richard. Appreciate it. And we'll talk to you next time on Run As Radio.